the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As I was saying at the end of the last segment, I'm always worried about what the news isn't covering and what the administration is up to that we're not focused on. They throw a lot of crisis at us, and they know that our patience and our attention spans can only go so far, but that doesn't mean that Lincoln was wrong. It's all our territory, as Lincoln said, and we have a lot to cover. One of these stories that is just beginning to make a little bit of news is the nomination, uh, Joe Biden's nomination to a position known as the controller of the currency. It's not a job I'll confess I knew much about, but uh, two men who I have uh, uh, become privileged to get to know do know much about this. Uh, One of them is Mike Stevenson, Michael Stevenson. He is a director at the Metro Phoenix Bank. And the other one, of course, is Stephen Haggard, who is the director, president, and CEO of the Metro Phoenix Bank, large institution. They are very concerned about this, as should you be. Let me start, as I always do, with uh, new guests. Mike, I'll start with you. Tell us, just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself before we get into this. Well, just pretty simple. We sort of retired, sold our business back in Illinois, and we're looking for the ideal place to live, and we found it. Uh-huh. This has been good. This is almost 20 years, and been active in politics, banking, and real estate, and just have truly enjoyed life out here. And you started a bank along with you, sir. Tell us about it. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about uh, Metro Phoenix Bank. Sure. I'm a 30-year uh, commercial banker. Um, 28 of those have been in the Phoenix market. And um, 15 years ago, myself and a group of investors um, felt like we could build a better mousetrap, a commercial bank here in the Phoenix market. At that time, I believe there were 35 or 36 independently owned uh, commercial banks. And uh, in 2007, uh, we uh, got the job done. Um, Obviously, we had to raise a lot of capital. We had to build a business plan, and we had to identify a, a team of bankers that would be able to execute on our um, business model, which was commercial real estate, uh, C&I lending, which is commercial and industrial lending, SBA lending, and treasury management services. And after 15 years, uh, we've grown that bank to approximately $400 million, $425 million, and we're consistently one of the top 100 banks ranked in S&P, S&P Global uh, for uh, performance indexes. Fantastic. For the audience that may not know the distinction, which I only learned about about I don't know, eight or nine years ago, the difference between a commercial bank and what people think of as their normal bank. Sure, sure. Yeah, what people think of is the retail banks, where uh, the money center banks, that's what we call them. Uh, it'd be the B of A's, uh, the Chase, Wells Fargo. Uh, they're about 70% of the market in the Arizona market, so they're on every corner. And people don't even realize there's another um, category of institutions out there that are independent commercial banks, boutique banks, and we're one of those. Uh, we're down to 13 now in the state of Arizona. Oh, wow. uh, but there are a lot of regionals that do have some branching 
and LPOs, which are loan production offices here in the market. So you drive up and down Central, you drive up and down Camback Corridor, you're going to see a ton of banks. Uh, but keep in mind, only 13 of those are independent Arizona banks, and Metro Phoenix Bank is one of those. Fantastic. Fantastic. Stephen, Mike, thank you. And thank you for bringing this issue to my attention. I honestly am not sure I would have known about it unless you raised it. And I started digging into it. And boy, you guys are right to be worried from the best I can tell. Whoever wants to start first, tell us about the concerns over this nominee to be the controller of the currency. Mike, you want to start first? Yeah, I'd be glad to. And first of all, thank you for the opportunity because we are facing so many crises in this country right now. And I think the service that you're providing is is just invaluable. The thing that really triggered me recently was Friday. I was listening to a newscast, and the newscaster got tickled to the point where he was laughing and chuckling so much he had a little trouble getting his message across. And his message was that President Biden has nominated to head up the become the controller of currency, a person named Sely Omovare. Omarova, yeah. Yes, beautiful. Oh, I love your accent. <laughs> yes, I have a very good Kazakh accent. Right. Yes, straight but, from Lithuania. Okay. Right. But she is from Kazakhstan, uh-huh. and she lived her formative life in that far eastern Russian province, and she... Formerly but, Russian province. Yes. Well, the, <laughs> Formerly Soviet so province. So USSR. Yes, yeah, yeah. Formerly <laughs> right, right, USSR. Yes, yes. But she, she went off to college, and where did she go? She went to a state uh, university in Moscow, mm-hmm. Moscow, Russia, mm-hmm. under very, very coveted uh, uh, scholarship mm-hmm. named for that famous communist, Mr. Lenin. Mm-hmm. So she has lived her formative years there. She graduated in 1989. She left there in 1991, the same year that that province uh, became independent, Mm -hmm. and she made her way to the U.S. Now, I've I've done some considerable research, and I've not been able to, to... confirm that she is a citizen wow. of the U.S. Which is really the least of the issues, to be honest well, with you, is. when you look at the ideology. Exactly. But technically, I would prefer somebody who's handling my money to at least be in the same club as I. Well, I and think that America. should come up in the Senate hearings. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so, too. But yeah, that's right. She attended uh, Moscow State University on the Lenin Personal Academic Scholarship, named after, of course, as you said, not John, but Vladimir <laughs> Lenin. And all, now, we, we will forgive, all of us do, right? We forgive youthful indiscretions, youthful bad thoughts and philosophies. My gosh, I was a, a hippie once upon a time, too. But this was two years ago that she tweeted, Until I came to the U.S., I couldn't imagine that things like gender pay gaps still existed in today's world. Say what you will about the old USSR. There was no gender pay gap there. Markets don't always know best. Stephen, I was joking earlier. It reminded me of Bernie Sanders said saying breadlines are a good thing. This, I would imagine, sends a chill up the spine of people in the banking industry. Yeah, it, it sure does. And, um, you know, it really is um, a head scratcher that the administration would nominate someone so polarizing. Um, this is something that the entire industry is, you know, 
taken note of and actually taken forceful action. Uh, most of the uh, trade associations have already mobilized and started to push back, started sending letters to all the Senate banking uh, committee members, et cetera, and uh, our voice will be heard as, as an industry. Good. And the reason being is that she has come out in position statements and has really cast a pall on the banking industry here in the United States, which has been a, a very successful banking industry, you know, industry for 150, you know, 160 years with a dual banking system. And what her position is is to convert this to a centralized bank banking uh, model. And that is completely further from the effectiveness of what we have today, which is the dual banking system where you have small community banks uh, and you have large money center banks. They each serve a different um, clientele. They each provide different benefits. Neither one's right or wrong, but they're very much cohesive in creating an economy that everybody has access to capital. What will happen if we turn into a centralized banking system is that a lot of people that have access to capital today, small entrepreneurs, small businesses, will not have that access at the price that it is available today. Um, and, and the reason that is the case is the OCC oversees all the national banks. That's the control of the currency. The FDIC, for the most part, oversees small community banks. They are different regulatory agencies that have a different model to a certain degree. But what you do see are these banks that have different lending criteria and different types of models that make it work for them and make it for the customer. One size does not fit all in business, entrepreneurship, or banking, and this is what um, a centralized banking system would create, a one-size-fit-all, which would be detrimental to our economy. Yeah, the idea of a bank that knows you and, and, and can understand your business has kind of been a part and parcel of successful banking systems or at least successful businesses. The readings I have done about this nominee to be controller of the currency is that she wants the banks out of the money business altogether, lending business altogether, and make it a government function. Is that about right? To quote her, she intends to redefine capitalism and completely change banking as we know it today. Oh, okay. And a good point that you made about knowing your customer last week among other loads, we had two two families came in. One of them was an immigrant. Mm-hmm. He worked a kind of a menial job for 10, 15 years and then saved his money. One of his little menial jobs, he worked in a, a convenience store. He bought his own convenience store. Okay. And so it, that was truly the American dream there. Another family, same kind of a setup. They weren't immigrants. They wanted a hotel. They saved their money. We looked at them. We know them. They knew us. They now are heavily in debt, but they own a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> and they'll work their way out. This is what America is all about. Let me do this. Let me take a quick commercial break on my side, and we'll come back with you gentlemen if I can. I want to talk a little bit more. Let me open it up for calls, too, if people have questions about the banking system or this nomination to the controller of the currency steeped in Marxism as she is. 602-508-0960 is that number. 602-508-0960. And I also want to get into the issue of the IRS wanting to know if you have a little bit more than a few bucks in your account, too. We'll talk about all that when we come back. We'll be right back.
Little Dion DiMucci there for you, Dion and the Belmonts. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have Steve Haggard. He is the director of the Metro Phoenix Bank CEO and as well Mike Stevenson, who is also a director. We're talking about a couple of things, and we'll be happy to take your calls in a few moments as well, 602-508-0960. Mike, before we move to this other massive issue that the IRS is – we are learning about with the IRS and banks – Say another word or two or concluding few thoughts, if you want, about the controller of the currency issue. Yes. It, I, I found it interesting to see that she had some strong immediate support after Mr. Biden gleefully announced that this is a historic moment of a woman of color to hold this prestigious position. By the way, meaning no disrespect to your industry, I just got to tell you, an ind- a, a position most people don't know exists. Well, that's true. I mean no right. disrespect in saying that. I just it's, – it's an odd thing for the president to ratchet up the – anyway, but it is now, as we see, a very important position. Go ahead. Sorry it, to interrupt. It, no, that was no interruption. But I, I found it interesting to think, as he so gleefully reported this female of color bit, I mean from where she uh, grew and, and lived her formative years – it was uh, dominated, really, by Mongolian hordes up until the 1700s. And so her parents, is, is she may be Mongolian. And so we would have the first Mongolian-American female. Well, that would be something. That would be an achievement. It truly would be. That would be new. And they had the, the strong support came from Maxine Waters, uh-huh. Elizabeth Warren, uh-huh. Sherrard Brown. Uh-huh. But there were also some other... Antis on the list, and that is the uh, Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Ms. Yeller, and uh, uh, the top Republican on the Senate Banking Committee, Patrick Toomey. Uh-huh. And he commented that her writings contained extreme leftist ideas, which, after looking at her 60 page manifesto for a few hours, I think that was a gross understatement. Yeah, I was just going to say it might be an insult to the idea of an extreme idea. Yeah. And I have no, you know, I have no problem with people who who, who fled communism, left communism. I, I we welcome them. Gosh knows we do. Whitaker Chambers on forward, uh, even further back than that. What I am bothered by is people who want to bring it here. Well, that's true. And, and in the, they didn't the re- leave it. In other words, in the research for our get together today. I cannot find a confirmation of her citizenship. Well, that would be another interesting thing so, to know. You know and draw I'm out. still no. going to look for that. Okay. But I'm not saying she's not, but I can't find anything that says that she is. Well, that would be an interesting thing to see, too. I mean, but but there's a lot here that's going on, and, and part of it goes to this issue that we have a lot of callers. Well, let me let me have you set the table on this $600 deal, if I can, Steve, and then we'll go to our calls. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, sure. go ahead. Yeah, and what we have here is um, what they call the tax compliance agenda that uh, President Biden is rolling out to fund some of the uh, uh, spending that he is proposing. And uh, one of the uh, impacts to the banking industry is that they're trying to ratchet it down to a $600 account in which uh, bank and bank employees need to monitor these relationships um, from a due diligence standpoint to determine if they're involved in any illicit activity, tax evasion, uh, tax avoidance, and criminal activity. Um, and it's it's a disappointing uh, proposal from the standpoint that 
banks already do a lot of work for the IRS, uh, for the FinCEN group, sure. which is the financial institution uh, or the financial crime uh, network, which is part of the Treasury Department. Uh, we already provide them suspicious activity reports. Yep. We provide them CTRs, which are currency yep. transaction reports, uh, ongoing monitoring that sure. is part $10, of the $10,000 deposits exactly, or withdrawal exactly. situation. Yeah. So what they're doing, they're lowing the bar, or I should say raising the bar for what we have to do. And uh, it's going to be cost prohibitive. It's raising be, the bar for what you have to do while limiting the freedom Americans can have. Well, the invasiveness is right. you know one topic, and it is going to be massive. Six hundred dollar transaction or six hundred dollar account—that's almost everybody in the nation. And my biggest concern is it's not a a policy or a act that can be fulfilled by banks. It's something that would be so impossible to cover that the banks are always going to be uh, um, subject to a failure. Mm-hmm. It, it, you were, we're being positioned to fail in this particular uh, compliance. Oh, it's part and parcel of getting rid of private banking. 100 percent. And it, it's it's not something that you can do without incurring a lot of costs, uh, personnel, uh, software, tracking, and uh, more due diligence on the front end of accounts. And more federal out. regulations to comply with. That you cannot adhere to. Yeah, right. It's almost a gotcha type yeah. of a scenario. And what happens then? The banks don't fulfill those particular requirements under the BSA laws. You know, you got compliance from um, uh, uh, submission of uh, the SARS of the uh, uh, currency transaction report of the monetary logs, and any one of those can sometimes trigger enforcement actions if you're not doing it at a level that's appropriate for you know standard uh, guidelines. And so this is another um, level of. Um, monitoring that we would have to really get our arms around. And uh, once again, I feel for the industry that it's just something that regardless of how many dollars we throw into it, there's always going to be exposure. And uh, we don't want to see civil money penalties. We don't want to see enforcement actions to the bank. But unfortunately, something like this, you could see that road leading down to Well, I can. You used a phrase that was interesting and picked up on. And you tell me if I'm over, over, uh, if I'm overly focused on it. You said tax evasion and tax avoidance. And what I had learned, rightly or wrongly, was that tax evasion is obviously illegal. Tax avoidance is what we all try and do with our accountants and tax lawyers, which is staying within the law but being creative on how to pay less taxes, but well within the law. That distinction fairly accurate? This changes that, by the way, because they will find more nets for you to be dragged into. When you're engaging in legal behavior that is trying to maneuver the IRS regulations. This is the end of – this is the end of – well, I'm saying this is the end of private banking and the end of entrepreneurship because, Mike, before the break, you were talking about some customers of your bank who are just starting a hotel thanks in part to the help you were able to give them. This is how you create wealth in this country. We just were talking on the break. The Forbes 400 list came out. 70% of the Forbes 400 lists were not people who were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They were self-starters. They made it on their own. That ends when you can't loan anymore. Right? Bingo. Bingo. And and that's one of their objectives is to keep us from loaning. We, along with other banks, will become just paths through depositories. Is that correct, Steve? If anything. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the wealth creation comes from, uh, you know, the bank providing the capital. Sure. sure. Know, where, where the oil that goes into the economy. Right. Um, with a centralized uh, delivery of that oil, it's not going to be as efficient as it, what it is today. And you've got 4,300 uh, commercial banks. You've got another 600 savings associations. And then you've got, I think, 5,000 credit unions. So all those en- entities that are all very deep in their local communities, 
is taking away uh, their flexibility and entrepreneurship. And you have one deciding factor, and that's going to be the federal government that's going to determine where those funds go. If we take away uh, the uh, dual banking system, it's going it's to hurt. It's going to hurt all these uh, small business owners, all these entrepreneurs, and the ability to continue to grow this economy and generate wealth is going to be impeded by uh, you know one heavy hand, and that's going to be your centralized government. People probably ask you if they could have another day or another week to maybe get their payments in. Can I keep you for a little bit longer? We have a lot of calls for you guys. You pro- I promised you sure. a half hour, but I'd love to keep you if you guys have time. Take these calls. Anxious to think. Great. We'll be right back. Does that take you back to your childhood, Mike? A little bit more of that home country music? <laughs> Tennessee. Stephen Haggard and Mike Stevenson are my guests from the Metro Phoenix Bank, and we're talking about a bunch of things that you really need to be very aware about uh, with regard to the controller of the currency, these new IRS uh, efforts to monitor bank accounts, $600 and above. We've got a full line of calls for you, gentlemen. I'm going to uh, go right to them. Bruce and Phoenix, you're on with uh, Stephen and Mike. Hi, hi Mike and Steve. Uh, I, what would happen with, with my savings account and my checking account? Would that, become, would that stay with my bank now, or would that go to this newfangled um, federal bank? I'll let you take a stab at that. I mean, there's yeah. a lot we don't know yet. Yeah, but. It, it, yeah this is all proposed, uh, obviously, with these uh, appointees and uh, policy statements and position statements. But, yeah, right now it would stay with your bank, and I would not anticipate that changing anytime soon. And um, will it ever change? Who knows if uh, the administration gets uh, their way with certain aspects of what they're trying to accomplish, I think, with the uh, monetary system and uh, the centralized banking, um, yeah, there's always that possibility, but I don't see that happening. I think uh, we're strong enough as a uh, 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 industry uh, to push back uh, with too much of the progressive uh, thinking in, in terms of banking. I'm going to tell you right now, I think if we can get this story out enough, and I see it's now beginning to make some waves here and there. The Wall Street Journal had an editorial on it. You're mm-hmm. seeing a few other. I think we could defeat this nomination, quite frankly. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think I think we're, we might very well be on the road to doing that. Let me go to uh, David in Phoenix. David, you're on with uh, Mike and Steve. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I'm wondering with the new regulation, the proposed regulation for monitoring bank accounts, if this isn't a huge Fourth Amendment issue, because they got away with it with phone calls. Um, you know, they just took the basic data and said, you know, they called her, um, the person that they're calling, but we won't look at it unless we have some sort of probable cause, and then they could unmask. And in this situation, it's the 18th century equivalent of going into someone's house and saying, well, look, we're going to take all your paperwork and we're going down to your bank, too, and taking that. But we won't look at it. <clears throat> um, oh, wait, no, we will, because actually we want to monitor it. Um, so, it, I mean, it's, that's a general warrant for uh, sure. I, yeah, I understand the, yeah, I understand the question. Let me put, pitch it to you this way, Mike, and Steve, answer it however you want, whoever you want uh, to answer it. But the worrisome thing about when the government says we're just going to monitor, we're just going to investigate, or we're just going to look, or we're just going to oversee, is rarely does that come without consequence. That's, I think, what worries people. They don't just monitor for no reason. And I think that's what has people a little bit worried, right? 
Well, they should be very worried, as I see these TV commercials saying, if you pass this legislation, that anyone making less than 400000 yep. it won't cost you a penny. Right. That's not true. It may not cost you something that you have to write a check out and pay for at the time, but think of the burden that throws on the entire industry, the people that must be hired, the software, just to comply it will be a terrific expense, and what happens with that expense? It gets passed down. It gets passed down. Exactly. It prevents further growth, exactly. and it can lead to less hiring, can't it, ultimately? Sure, sure. Less employment. I, I, I think the uh, reallocation of resources uh, would be funneled into a program such as this. It would be significant. It's a significant undertaking. You do not want to underestimate the impact that it would have. Um, and then you have – resources going into a program like that versus hiring uh, lenders or put more capital on the street. Um, and you get into a position where a bank has to make a decision. Um, do we eat the cost or do we pass the cost down to uh, the consumer or, or the small business owner? And those are hard decisions. And uh, there's no when, you know, either the bank's going to eat it or the uh, uh, market's going to eat it. Either way, it's a loss. And so when the um, proposal comes out that states it's a no-cost uh, program, uh, maybe it's no cost to uh, the IRS or the, uh, the government, but it is a cost to the banking industry. And as we all know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. That's right. Someone's got to pay for it along the way. And in this situation, it would be the bank or the consumers. One of the most worrisome or some of the most worrisome words, nine words, is it, <laughs> that we're about to deal with if this nomination and these rules go through is I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? Oh, yeah. As Ronald Reagan said, the nine most dangerous words in our country. Well, Mike and Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming in and straightening us out on this. Uh, can we keep this conversation going over the next couple of weeks as, as or months when, when you see news on this pop? Will one of you alert me and we can do this by phone or in person either way? We'd love to have you back. Love to be back. Yeah, There's no, this so was much an, more to go over. Entirely enlightening and gives us all a cause here to get involved on. Call your senator and tell him you have a lot of serious questions about Soleil Omarova's nomination to be the controller of the currency. Starting, starting with does she even believe in the economic system she is here to oversee? I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. And uh, stay tuned over the next couple of days. We were interviewing Dr. Bob Branch from the Power of Fives, who was uh, talking about a Salute to Veterans concert that he's doing. Great, great musical guest. We're going to be giving away some free tickets to that event uh, in a couple of days, but you can go to the Power of Fives right now to get more information on this great concert that's coming to town. Let me go to Lisa in Phoenix. Hi, Lisa. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, uh, I just wanted to make a comment about what this uh, Kazakh lady said about Miss Omarova, Miss I love the the I love the Kazakhs of today. I love Kazakhstan of today. It seems like she is a throwback, a retrograde. She never kind of left the Soviet uh, the Soviet indoctrination. But anyway, go right ahead, Lisa. I don't I don't think people understand what communism really is. Soviet communism. 
I lived there in 1993, 94, post when the wall fell, but it was no difference. Everyone made $38 a month. She's right. Women made $38 a month. Men made $38 a month. The doctors, the lawyers, the teachers, the street cleaner, everyone made $38 a month. But you know what? That's called real equity, isn't it? That's called real income equality, isn't it? Everyone has the same. There is no difference. Yeah, perfect. Go ahead. Yeah, but the thing is, if you were a doctor or a lawyer and, and your patient or your client wanted something, you'd have to bribe them. You'd have to you'd have to bribe the nurse to empty your bedpan under your bed because mm-hmm. that wasn't included. I mean, it's just incredible. The, the party or the KGB had to give you permission to who to marry. Your local people had to tell you it was okay to marry somebody or to divorce them. In order to travel to a village to visit your grandmother, you had to ask their permission. People don't understand the power of control of communism. It's not equality. The scum and the criminals rise to the top. They take advantage of everything. Mm. Nancy Pelosi's Nancy Pelosi's bank account's not going to be monitored for six hundred dollar uh, ice cream bills. No, <laughs> she's not going to be monitored. <laughs> That's well put. Yeah. Okay, I got the joke. But, That's good. So the other thing is, Congress. I just found out this today. Congress is exempt from the COVID mandate. Well, I'll, I'll take a look at, at what, what exemptions they have. Uh, they have. I know that they have, in certain respects, certain stricter rules than, than, than some of us do, but they may have lesser as well. This is a huge, huge problem. Madison said in, Federalist, in the Federalist Papers, Madison said that one sure guarantee – to avoid tyranny, of avoidance of tyranny in this country is that our elected leaders will have to live by the laws they pass. Our one sure guarantee against tyranny in this country is that our elected officials will have to live by the laws they pass. You think that's going on? You think that's going on? It's just so precious every time the left tries to find some kind of mistake or no, let me let me start that sentence again. It's it's getting awfully precious every time the left finds a policy agreement they don't like and t- and tries to turn it into a criminal act. Tries to turn it into a criminal act. A call to our ally, saying march peacefully. Any number of things that they call a constitutional crisis. And when they do that, notice what they do. That's when they discover the founders. That's when they like to quote, well, Benjamin Franklin said it's a republic if you can keep it. Some days they like the founders. Some days they like 1619 and the founders were irrelevant racist bigots and white supremacists before the term was invented. Because the standards over in that movement – are entirely nihilistic, are entirely nihilistic. It's almost a nihilistic it's, – it's, 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 if, it's, if, it's, if it's not nihilistic, it's authoritarian. If, it, if it's not authoritarian or nihilistic, it's narcissism. Narcissistic personality disorder, I think, grips the party. I was thinking of what you were saying, Lisa. Yes, she's right. She's absolutely right. There was no pay gap. They each got $38 no matter what. 
no matter how much they worked, no matter how well they worked, no matter their gender, no matter their profession. Ronald Reagan highlighted, you know, people made fun of this. They shouldn't have. It was his understanding of his way to communicate to the – remember how people would say Ronald Reagan would go over the heads of the media and speak directly to the American people? One of the ways he did that was with humor. One of the – one of the ways he did that was with humor, and he knew how to tell a joke. Not everyone knows how to, obviously. He knew how to. My favorite one was one of his favorite ones. It was the story about the Russian who wanted to buy a car. The man goes to the official agency, puts down his money, and is told that he can take delivery of his car in 10 years to the day. And the guy buying the car says – well, should I come by in the morning or afternoon? And the clerk says, 10 years from now, what difference does it make? And the car buyer says, well, the plumber's coming in the morning. That's the kind of joke Reagan liked to tell because the magic of all humor, I'll start that sentence again, the magic of all good humor, (laughs) the magic of all good humor is that somewhere underneath it a truth is buried. There's a truth buried underneath it, one that's articulable or one that isn't. And Reagan understood that to get the truth to the American people, you sometimes had to do the inarticulable or speak in the lingua franca that people sometimes understand a little bit better. Humor, humor. Because if you don't laugh, you cry, Lisa, right? Or scream when you live under the Soviet Union. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. If you didn't get on, I see we have a few people on hold. Call tomorrow and let us know that you didn't make it today. We'll put you right to the top of the list. That's our version of equity. Um, I wanted to share this quote. I used it the other day uh, from Louis Brandeis. He was probably the apex of the progressive legal community. Woodrow Wilson nominated him to the Supreme Court. Brandeis University is named after him. Good liberal man. And it dawns on me today I've been quoting mostly liberal justices. This is what liberalism used to believe. It's also what progressives used to believe. If you want to understand the difference between Marxism and totalitarianism and even American version progressivism – Let me read you from Louis Brandeis. Keep in mind the issues we're dealing with about speech and violence and investigating people for going to their school board meetings. Those who won our independence believed that the final end of the state was to make men free to develop their faculties and that in its government, the deliberative forces should prevail over the arbitrary. They valued liberty both as an end and as a means. They believed liberty to be the secret of happiness and courage to be the secret of liberty. They believe that freedom to think as you will and to speak as you think are means indispensable to the discovery and spread of political truth. That without free speech and assembly, discussion is futile. That with them, discussion affords ordinary, adequate protection against the dissemination of noxious doctrine. That the greatest menace to freedom is an inert people. That public discussion is a political duty and that this should be a fundamental principle of the American government. Our founders recognized the risks to which all human institutions are subject, but they knew that order could not be secured merely through fear of punishment for its infraction. 
that it is hazardous to discourage thought, hope, and imagination, that fear breeds repression, repression breeds hate, hate menaces stable government, and that the path of safety lies in the opportunity to discuss freely supposed grievances and proposed remedies, and that the fitting remedy for evil counsel is good. Believing in the power of reason as applied through public discussion, they eschewed silence coerced by law. Thank you, Louis Brandeis. Thank you all. Until tomorrow, God bless you, and class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.